Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello again, my friend. Welcome back. I want to start you today with a number. The number is zero. Zero. That's the number of combined Oscar nominations for Steve Buscemi, Scarlett Johansson, Martin Sheen, Ewan McGregor, and Sam Rockwell. Once again, the combined number of Oscar nominations, not wins, for Steve Buscemi, Scarlett Johansson, Martin Sheen, Ewan McGregor, and Sam Rockwell. Zero. That, my friend, is a travesty. This is the Stream Police Podcast. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums. But less than a dozen have made the five-star club. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the five-star club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review. Better late. Oh, glad to be back with you, my dear friend. Welcome back in where I sit in my closet in Cincinnati and I talk to you about movies and TV, and then I pass things over to my good friend Andy Sedlak, where he sits in his basement in Dayton and talks to you about music. And then he throws it back to me and I talk to you some more in my closet in Cincinnati. It's a great time. It's the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Urge you to check the website out and like our various and assorted social media channels. Please do that. It would be nice. We don't make any money off the site, by the way. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. Or off of this show. We just do it because we love it. Because we love you. Mostly because we love it. Even if you weren't here, if you weren't listening, I have a feeling Andy and I would probably still be sitting in our closets and basements talking to no one. That's just, that's that's us. It's just our pitiful existence. But we're glad that you're here with us. So thank you very much for joining. Let me go ahead. Last week I was a little sick, a little under the weather. Last month, I should say. I was a little sick, a little under the weather. But I'm back, baby. I'm back. I got my health back, so it's time to light up a stogie. And I guess that's kind of counterproductive when I'm, you know, trying to be healthy. But anyways, I got to light my stogie up here in my closet. So let me go ahead and do that. Oh, good to have that smell filling up this tiny closet once again. If you are a fire marshal and you were listening to this show, please ignore every statement I've just made. And uh, now you can enjoy the program. All right, let's get right into it. I I always like to start the show with the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And I want to do the oldest theme song that we've done so far. I've done this on, I don't even know how many episodes uh, so far on the show, but 
we've we've handled a pretty good number of TV theme songs, and if you go back and listen, we'll uh, you'll hear some of my picks for the greatest TV show theme songs ever. But I've never gone too old with the theme songs. I think this 1970s, I think, is as old as I've gone. But let me take you back to October 15th, 1951. You're sitting in front of a black and white tube with your family, all right, with your atomic family. The box is tuned to CBS, one of only three networks that you can watch on your small TV. You're about to watch the first episode of what would later be named the greatest TV show of all time by many outlets over the years. And little do you know that you're also about to hear one of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. It's I Love Lucy. You hear the first few notes of it and you know it. You hum it. You you love this song, right? Don't kid me. Don't act like you don't love this song. Don't act like you didn't used to watch it on Nick at Night or at least hear it coming on in the background and remember this song you got in your head. I've told people before that I think the I Love Lucy theme song, this 60-second tune, is the catchiest song ever written. I swear to God, I get the I Love Lucy theme song in my head at least once a week for no reason whatsoever. I have not watched an episode of I Love Lucy Probably in, God, I don't know, 20 years? I mean, 15 years at least. I have not sat and watched an episode of I Love Lucy from start to finish. But I still get that theme song stuck in my head every week like it's playing on Top 40 radio every time I turn my car on. The I Love Lucy theme was written by a guy named Elliot Daniel, who I looked up, I was researching, you know, for doing this segment. I looked him up, and Elliot Daniel was kind of an arrogant asshole, to be honest with you. This guy apparently wanted his name nowhere near the show or the song because he was a film composer. He was a motion picture composer. And TV, of course, was this unproven piece of shit medium. Nobody wanted anything to do with TV. It was all about motion pictures. And this guy, Elliot Daniel, was the same way. He So he writes the, he agrees to write the song, takes the paycheck, but he doesn't want his name anywhere near it. Doesn't want it in the credits or anything. Doesn't want anyone to know he had anything to do with television because he was a film composer. But of course, when the show became a success, who was the first guy knocking on the door at Desilu Studios asking to get credit and get royalties from the show? None other than Elliot Daniel. I wish Lucy Ball would have called him a prick and told him to shove it. But she had class, so she gave him the royalties, and she was legally bound to do so. But still, Elliot Daniel, what a douche. He may have been a douche, but God, that song is great. It kicks, man. This song preceded the show for six seasons and 181 episodes. It's got kind of like that easy listening, adult, you know, old AM radio, Lawrence Welk kind of thing going on. A little more lively than that. It played over one of my favorite opening credit sequences in TV history as well. The opening credit sequence to I Love Lucy is so iconic, so simple. They've got this satin-looking black-and-white curtain with the heart on it as the names were superimposed over top of it. I mean, it's just it's fantastic. I love that opening and the song that goes with it. It's all magnificent. <laughs>
know that the I Love Lucy theme song later had lyrics? When it was originally written by Elliot Daniel, it was an instrumental. But they added lyrics later on. In the episode Lucy's Last Birthday, which was from season two of the show, Ricky Ricardo sings a version of the theme song with lyrics to Lucy on her birthday in the show. It's a really sweet clip if you look it up on YouTube. I love Lucy and she loves me. We're as happy as two can be. But of course, the instrumental version of the I Love Lucy theme song is the real deal. And it's my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And how about the ending to this song? Kick ass, man. I mean, that's like something you could hear, you would imagine hearing on King Kong or something, the ending to that thing. It just, it's just, it's powerhouse, man. One more thing about the I Love Lucy theme song. Did you know that there was also a disco version of that song that became a hit record in 1977? It's not enough that there was a disco version of the I Love Lucy theme song, which is like the stupidest idea. I mean, can you imagine? That's that sounds horrible, right? It sounds like the worst idea of all at least with Star Disco Star Wars. Star Wars had come out in 77. So it was hot. It was the hottest thing in entertainment. So making a Star Wars theme song in in disco, the most popular music of the era, makes sense. But the I Love Lucy theme, I mean a show from 20 years ago, they're going to do a, a, a 26 years ago they're going to do a, a hit record, a disco record of the band that did it was a band called the Wilton Place Street Band. And they had a top 40 record with the tune called Disco Lucy. Don't say I never taught you guys anything on the Stream Police podcast. Greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. The I Love Lucy theme. I'm telling you, I love that song. I get stuck in my head all the time. I was singing it like while I was setting up here in the closet, getting ready to talk to you guys. I'm like, I'm making up my own lyrics to it. They're very, I couldn't even sing them to you because they're just so inappropriate and so uh, just awful and, and, and explicit. But still, you know, make your own lyrics up at home. It's kind of a fun thing to do. All right, I want to ask you guys a serious question. I want to know from you guys, what movies inspire you? What movies do you watch that just leave you feeling inspired? They make you want to do better at work. They make you want to do better in life. They make you want to do better in love. Whatever it may be. Last night, Beth and I watched Moana, the Disney movie. And we hadn't seen it yet, watched it. I thought it was really cute. I thought it was really fun. I thought it was a worthy addition to the Disney princess canon. Um, you know, the songs were, the songs were pretty solid. The lyrically, I don't know. They maybe left a little bit to be desired. They felt more like dialogue thrown into song form than actual songs, but still the animation was amazing. The storyline was great. It was just an epic movie. The colors were fantastic. The message was great. And Moana was a really good, really good character for the Disney universe. We're watching Moana, and I felt inspired by this movie. I felt inspired by this message of following your own heart, following whatever it is that makes you happy, no matter what dad says, no matter what mom says, no matter what the entire village says, what the people at work say, whatever. You do what it is that makes you happy. It's a, it's a nice idea. 
especially, you know, one for kids, I think. But it's a great one for adults, too. So I felt I, I ended up feeling inspired by this movie. And animated movies typically do inspire me. I feel like maybe it's because I never had any aspirations as an animator. So I'm able to, like, separate myself from them completely, and I can just enjoy them as art. Whereas that's hard for me to do with live-action movies. It's one of the reasons I love music so much. I can separate my—I never had any aspirations to be a musician. Not really. I mean, in high school, I was in a band. Who wasn't? You know, we had fun, but I never thought about going into music professionally. So I'm able to listen to music, and I'm able to just enjoy it, I think. Even if it's good, bad, whatever, I can I can like it because I can separate myself from it. But movies are a little bit more personal to me. I always wanted to make a movie. I started out in film school. I always wanted to write a movie. Always wanted to do that. And I feel like I could do it if I ever got the discipline to sit down and, and write something. I, I maybe could come out with something that I felt good about. But I, I could never be an animator. I can't draw worth a shit. I don't know the you know first thing about making an animated film. So I can watch an animated movie and I can be like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. I don't feel intimidated at all. I don't feel like it encroaches on my uh, dreams as an artist myself. So I left Moana feeling pretty inspired. I looked at my movie shelf, and I wanted to talk to you guys. I'm, I started thinking about the ones that have inspired me over the years. And I've got like a 1,000 movies on my shelf. I've collected them for years and years. So I'm like, which ones of these inspire me? And really, there weren't that many on the shelf that inspire me, to be honest with you. There's different types for different reasons that inspire me. And I wanted to tell you guys and maybe get you thinking about what movies you go to to get inspiration. Which ones have left you wanting to create something or wanting to do better in something? My Honestly, my very favorite movies, like my upper echelon top ten favorite movies ever, like the Magnolias and the Big Lebowskis. And, you know, your Clockwork Oranges and your Tinker Tailor Soldier Spies and plenty of others. Like my all-time favorite movies. Those don't inspire me because they make me feel intimidated as a creative person. And they make me feel inferior as well. It's like when I read, like right now I'm reading, I like to read a lot also. And I'm reading a Stephen King book right now. I'm reading Needful Things, which is like not this great book like as far as the way it's written or anything it's just it's not really great you read it and sometimes you cringe with some of the stuff that he says but it makes me feel inspired because i'm like man i think i could maybe write a book i could i know i could write better than this in some ways at least in the construction and i could come up with maybe some characters that were more interesting than this no disrespect to stephen king i mean the guy's output is ridiculous and the amount of genres he's covered is uh, is nothing short of a miracle to be able to write that many genres but when I read Stephen King, I feel inspired to start writing something because I'm like, I, I think I could match this. Versus when I read like William Faulkner. And my favorite book, probably my favorite book ever is The Sound and the Fury. And when I read The Sound and the Fury, I never want to write, I don't even want to write my name on a piece of paper because I'll never be able to construct anything that is that elaborate and that well done, that beautiful, that soul stirring. So it just makes me want to give up on life, basically, and, and just, you know, go get a job somewhere flipping burgers or something like that forever and just collect a paycheck and go home. So does, does it feel that way to you? If you ever had any aspirations as a writer, as a musician, are there certain artists that you get inspired by and other ones that make you feel intimidated because they are so prolific or so, you know, just great at what they do? One movie that does inspire me, and this is going to be a funny choice, I think, is Office Space. This movie inspires me because I relate to the to Peter, the main character. And this movie makes me feel like it's okay to not be satisfied with security. You know, security of a good job. Other people think it's a good job. You might not think it's a good job. It doesn't fulfill you all the way. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, there, there's nothing wrong with you. 
You're just, you don't want to settle. If you feel like the oddball at work, there's nothing to apologize for. That's what office space makes me feel like. If your attitude doesn't match everyone else's, that's not a problem. If you are like kind of, you know, in a shitty mood most of the time, that's really not a problem. And you don't need to apologize to people based on the way you feel, based on how your mood is. There are plenty of people that feel the same way you do, but few are willing to show that on their sleeve. And I think that's a lesson that I've learned from Office Space. Other movies that inspire me, courtroom movies, inspire me most of the time when I watch them. Especially, there are three that really inspire me. And Justice for All, the Al Pacino movie, The Verdict with Paul Newman, Sidney Lumet, love that movie, and A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise. Those three really inspire me. These are great character-driven movies. Characters fighting for justice. They make a stand even when the world looks at them as losers. And those final courtroom monologues, man, those always pump me up and leave me floating. My favorite of those courtroom final showdown scenes has to be Al Pacino in Injustice for All, melting down on his own sleazy client, his own client. He melts down on him during his final argument, urging the jury to put the guy away and make him lose the case. It's classic stuff. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail! The son of a bitch is guilty! That man is guilty! That man there! That man is a slime! That scene pumps me up every time I watch it. Movies by great writers like Quentin Tarantino, Aaron Sorkin, and David Mamet. These guys... Honestly, they're great They're great writers, so they do intimidate me, but they make me want to reach great heights as a writer, especially when it comes to dialogue. I mean, if you listen to the dialogue in Pulp Fiction or in The Hateful Eight, Tarantino's got to inspire you. If you listen to the dialogue in Steve Jobs or in A Few Good Men, Aaron Sorkin, how can he not drive you to want to create these great characters and have them talk to each other? David Mamet, Glengarry Glenn Ross, Wag the Dog. I mean, these are great movies that do intimidate me a little bit, but they also inspire me to reach for something better. Now, movies that don't inspire me, movies by David Fincher do not inspire me, like Fight Club. Not be, and I love that movie, and I think David Fincher is one of the great directors of all time, but he wears me down a little bit with the style. So much style in the movie. It just it kind of... I, I that would never if I did ever make a movie, it would never be something like that. So it doesn't really inspire me. Christopher Nolan. Interstellar does not inspire me. I love that movie. I thought it was a great movie. I raved about it when it came out, but it wears me down, right? It's an exhausting film to watch. It doesn't make me want to go out and create something because I'm just like, my God, the slate is that blank? What am I, where am I supposed to start? Another series that really inspires me is Star Trek. The movies, the shows. Star Trek inspires me so much, not because of the production values or anything like that, it inspires me because it shows the absolute ideal the human race could reach one day. And it, it makes me sad because I know we'll never see that. And I look around and I'm like, we're not even close to Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek ideal. But we could reach that at some point. So that is inspiring to me personally when I watch Star Trek. It makes me want to strive to be a better person, to be more understanding of people, because that's what Star Trek's all about. It's not about sci-fi. It's about understanding other cultures, understanding other people. 
documentaries do not inspire me at all. They depress the hell out of me, in fact. There are, like, no inspiring documentaries. And I'd, I'd have a hard time saying that there was one out there that honestly inspired me more than it made me depressed. A great documentary. The final thing that inspires me when I'm talking about a movie, it's not about the underdog story or anything like that. It's the acting. Great acting inspires me to want to write something that I can get in front of a great actor and hear read the words that I write for them. That is an inspiring idea. And I'm talking about the actors that pour it out of their soul. I'm talking about Al Pacino. I'm talking about Marlon Brando in The Fugitive Kind. I'm talking about Viola Davis. I'm talking about Michael Fassbender, Michael Douglas, or James Dean in anything he was ever in. You're tearing me apart! What? You you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! That's the stuff that inspires me. So what movies inspire you? Why do they inspire you? And are there movies that intimidate you? Are there directors, writers that you don't even want to go near because... They just leave you feeling like, oh, my God, I'll never make anything. This is why would I even ever try? Like, this is so great that I should never try to be creative because I will never match this. That's a bad attitude to have probably, but some things I think just make you feel that way. I mean, if you're if you're like a great architect and you look at something like, I don't know, the Eiffel, I don't even know what great architecture is, the Eiffel Tower or like any of Frank Lloyd Wright's houses, you know, do you feel that way? Do you? I mean, how could I ever make something this great? I never could. I don't know. Just thinking about that the other day after I watched Moana. So, uh, and Moana's a good movie, by the way, if you want to check that out. I think if you're, if you're a big Disney fan, I think you really will like it. It's a very bright, colorful, just cool movie. And even the big villain um, was really, really cool looking. Made me like, think of a, a character in a video game I'd like to go up against, like something out of God of War or something like that. So uh, what inspires you? I'd love to hear from you. My email is theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. What movies, what shows inspire you to get out there and maybe uh, want to do something? All right, let's get to the Academy Awards. I uh, opened up the show there with a depressing number about the Academy Awards. I've talked before. If you go back last year around Oscar time and listen to my show, I talked about how the Oscars and the Emmys and every, I mean, they're all just the Grammys. Andy loves to talk about the Grammys. They're all just bullshit, really. I mean, there are so many great artists that you can look up for any of them, and they've never won anything, never been nominated for anything. But it really doesn't, it doesn't mean they're lesser actors. All it means is in their obituary, they're not going to have the word, Oscar-winning actor, and it probably means they're not going to get paid as much as they deserve to be because they don't have that title in front of them. So the Oscars are mostly bullshit. I've kind of lost my zeal for them over the years, especially this year, because I just know it just seems like La La Land's going to win everything. And I told you before, I hated that movie. I thought it was so overrated. I thought it was so mediocre. I just don't get why it's going to set records. And I mean, seriously. So let's get to who I would vote for if I voted for the Oscars this year. I'm going to give you the big uh, categories, all four of the acting categories, screenplays, director, and picture. And I'm going to have some help from my favorite celebrity friends. All right, let's go ahead and start with Best Actor, the category of Best Actor. And to help me out with this award, I'm going to pass things over to Julia Roberts. Take it away, Julia. The Oscar goes to Denzel Washington for Fences. Denzel in Fences, might have this might have been the best work of Denzel's career, and his career has been unbelievable. I mean, this is the guy that gave us one of the great lines of all time. King Kong ain't got shit on me, of course, from Training Day. 
But Denzel Washington defenses, it, it just felt like he really had been working toward this his whole career. You could tell that this this meant a lot to him. I think you want a Tony for his performance of the same, you know, role in the show on stage. And he brought it to screen, and, and a lot of people have knocked on fences because they say, well, it's not really an adaptation. It's just the play on screen. Who gives a shit? Does it really matter? Not to me, as long as the play is this good. Don't change anything. I don't want you to change anything. That would disrupt the, the, you know, the perfection of this thing. And if you did change anything, people would be knocking on it. They'd be like, you can't add words to August Wilson. No, you shouldn't. So Denzel Washington, I thought he did a great job in Fences. He directed himself. Is he over the top? Sure. It's stage acting. But it was stirring nonetheless. I mean, it made me, I was shaking watching this movie because he was so just, it was guttural, man. So best actor to me is going to be Denzel Washington for Fences. All right, let's move on to best actress, or as I would say if I were running the Academy, best female actor. But they say best actress, so I'll go with that. The Academy Award for Best Actress for me. And the Oscar goes to. Natalie Portman for Jackie. Natalie Portman's already won an Oscar before, much like Denzel. But that doesn't discount you in my book just because you've been great before. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't win again. And I feel like the best actress category this year is a little bit down. Now, I did not see uh, Elle. I did not get the chance to see it. I'm sure it's incredible. I've heard nothing but great things about Isabelle Huppert, just as an actor overall. She's like a legend in France, um, and this is her first Oscar nomination. So I'm sure she's fantastic in that. I thought Ruth Nega was great and loving as well. Um, Meryl Streep, I mean, it's just like anything she does gets an Oscar nomination, and I'm, I'm frankly, I'm tired of that shit. So... Uh, I felt like Natalie Portman was very good in Jackie. Her accent's a little bit uh, over the top, a little uh, overbearing, I guess. I don't know. Maybe a little irritating, but I, but that's never hurt people in Oscar chances before. Remember uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Truman? Or, I'm sorry, in Capote, when he played Truman Capote? Uh, his accent got on my last damn nerve, but he was really good in that performance, and he won an Oscar. And I thought, uh, I just thought Natalie Portman in Jackie was really good. Just This was a movie that really made me feel how important the role of first lady is that I maybe never thought about how important it was. And it made me immediately think about Michelle Obama and, you know, how great she was in that role. All right, let's go to best supporting actor. Always a good category here. Uh, Take it away, Jennifer Lawrence. And the Oscar goes to Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. Mahershala Ali had a big year this year. He was in Hidden Figures. He was in Moonlight. Uh, he, before this, you know, previously was best known for his work on House of Cards on Netflix. Um, but this was like a breakout year for Mahershala Ali, and I think we're only seeing the first of what's going to be several Oscar nominations for this guy. He's really good in Hidden Figures and in Moonlight, stoic in both of them. But in Moonlight, he left such an indelible uh impression on the movie even though he was just in it for a very short time too short a time i wish he would have been in it longer but you know the story called i guess so i give it to mahershala ali i thought uh he really left reverberations throughout the movie long after he was off screen and we never saw him again best supporting actress for this category i'm going to bring out my old buddy we go way back christopher Plummer. and the oscar goes to the great viola davis for fences viola davis first off should have been in the best leading actress category, not supporting. She was a lead in this movie. I don't care what anyone says. She had just as much dialogue as Denzel. She had more screen time 
than Denzel in this movie. She was the lead. She was the goddamn lead of this movie. And to call her a supporting actor is 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 kind of an insult, I feel like, to this part and to her performance in it. Viola Davis should in my she should be like Meryl Streep. She should get nominated for an Oscar for everything she does, and she should probably win for most of them. She's just great. She's one of my all time heroes. So uh, I thought she was fantastic in Vince's. I'm not talking about just because I'm a fan of hers, I think she should win. I think she was legitimately the best uh, actress I saw in a movie, female actor. I'm using the Oscars nomenclature here. Uh, I thought she was the best female actor I saw in a movie this year. So for her to uh, be nominated, I got to give it to Viola Davis, best supporting actress. Let's move on to writing. Let's go to the screenplays. Uh, best screenplay. They've got uh, original and they've got adaptation. I'm going to give them to you both. Uh, let's go with Kate Blanchett here. Go ahead, Kate. The Oscar goes to. For adapted screenplay, I'd give it to. Hidden Figures. And the reason I'd give it to Hidden Figures over Moonlight is because I felt like the Hidden Figures um, screenplay could have been so boring. I mean, this book, I mean, I'm not saying their life story was boring, but I mean, we're talking about nerds at NASA, civil rights. This is stuff that's been covered many times before in great films. So it's hard to make an original, really good movie about, you know, 1960s civil rights struggle and a good film about NASA at the same time. But they really did with Hidden Figures. This was a really fun movie, very lively, uh, meaty parts for all three of the leading ladies. And uh, it just, it was, it was, I thought it was a very good screenplay. I, I really enjoyed this movie. So um, I'd give Best Adapted Screenplay to Hidden Figures. Now, for Best Original Screenplay, I got to go with Manchester by the Sea. Um, this just felt like a complete story to me from start to finish. A lot of heart in this. Um, and I felt like a lot of the acting was written on the page, a lot of the character descriptions, uh, and the setting was great. Just Kenneth Lonergan really nailed everything about the script for Manchester by the Sea. I thought he told a beautiful story about losing, uh, about losing the things that matter most to you and about moving on from that, trying to, trying to shake yourself up and pick yourself up and, and why family matters so much. So Manchester by the Sea dealt with some heavy themes, some heavy stuff, but it did so in a great way. So I'd give it to Manchester by the Sea for best original screenplay. Best director. Uh, let's go international for my presenter here. Uh, you've got the envelope. Go ahead, Jean Dujardin. And the Oscar goes to... Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea. I just said his script was fantastic. This was uh, a great work by a writer-director that I look forward to seeing even more from in the future. Uh, but you could tell that you know he put his heart and soul into this. All the performances are fantastic. The interactions between the characters feel so natural. Manchester by the Sea is the most natural movie that was made this year. Everything just feels real. I mean, it's just like docudrama kind of stuff almost. Um, and I think that's up. That's because of Kenneth Lonergan. He really had control over this movie from start to finish, and it's a, it's a beautiful movie. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm I'm sad because I think Manchester by the Sea probably will not win any Oscars. I'm being honest with you. I I will be shocked if on Sunday night it wins a single Oscar. I think it's going to end up going down as one of those movies that was nominated for a bunch but didn't win anything. Um, and that's a shame because this is a great movie, and I hope people remember it. So Manchester by the Sea, Kenneth Lonergan is my pick for Best Director this year. Finally, let's do the big one. Best Picture. Oh, the biggest honor to hand out the envelope for Best Picture. I'm going to go with uh, Sean Penn here. Go ahead and read it, Sean. And the Oscar goes to Moonlight. That's my pick for Best Picture for uh, the 2017 Academy Awards. I just thought Moonlight, it, it brought the most out uh, of me emotionally. I cried when I was watching this film. I felt like I truly loved 
the main character that it follows by the end of this thing. I, he was one of my favorite characters that I can remember seeing in movies. And I wanted the movie to go on and on and, and continue following through his life, through the, the defining moments of his life. I was disappointed it only ended, uh, you know, when he was, what, like in his 30s, something like that, late 20s. So uh, Moonlight was just a beautiful film, a, a very a proud movie. And uh, it's time to give the Oscar, the best picture to a movie made by people of color, starring people of color. This movie didn't have any white people in it. So you know what? You want to go against Oscar So White? Give it to Moonlight. Not just because of that, but because this was a great movie and, to me, the best film of 2016 as well. Uh, and by the, way, by the way, just let me go back to Sean Penn again. Didn't Sean sound so enthusiastic? Let's hear that one more time. Sean, you're at the Oscars, not a funeral. And... The Oscar goes to... Is that the definition of blasé? That was Sean Penn last year at the Oscars, I believe, giving out the award uh, for Best Picture. So, yeah, I mean, that's just I guess that's Sean Penn right there. He, just, he, he, he truly, you could tell he cared a lot. He was glad to be there. Thrilled. All right, I'm going to take a break, toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor, and uh, I'll come back in just a little bit and talk about a couple TV shows and also a couple things streaming right now on Netflix and Amazon that you should check out if you haven't already. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm going to puff my stogie. Uh, Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Every now and then, cashing in is a good thing. What's going on? My name is Andy Sedlak. I'm the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. We're talking about cashing in. Most of the time, it's cheesy. Most of the time, it's calculated. Most of the time, it doesn't produce the most substantial or even uh, entertaining art. It produces artifice. And it's commercial for the very sake of sounding commercial. But every once in a while, a move into the mainstream, is it's just timed just right. And it's actually not about cashing in, but growing up. I'm talking about the band Perry. They're the latest country act to go pop, like way pop. They overhauled their look, traded in those flannel threads for uh, tight-fitting leather or spiky haircuts. <laughs> Lead singer Kimberly Perry is uh, showing off that midriff now. Not a ton, but, you know, enough to make her point. They look like rocker dudes and gals, like the kind you would find at the mall. But here's the thing. Their new song, their pop song, is good, like very good. I've listened to it a lot, which says something about me because typically I you know, I kind of like to keep my eye on pop music, but 
I almost never indulge further than a passing glance. There's just too much other music to get to. But this song is called Stay in the Dark. Here's a taste. Just wanna stay in the about that is that the band Perry has always kind of had an edge to them. Better Dig 2, If I Die Young, Done, Chainsaw. Aside from being uh, hit songs, they were all also kind of dark. And that edge allows them to maybe slip into pop a little easier than some other country acts, because it's it's not surfacy. This new album will be called My Bad Imagination. No release date is set. I just wanna stay in the dark. And I will say that the song kind of, kind of, sounds like Pink's, that old Pink song, what's it called? Uh, just Like a Pill. Do you hear it? I don't think it's close enough to lead to any legal trouble, but um, but it's there. And I'm not sure why it, it feels like the band Perry has been around forever, but you know they've only released two albums. The first was in 2010, it was a self-titled record, and their second was uh, it was called Pioneer. It was released in 2013. And although both records went platinum, they've never had a number one album. My Bad Imagination might get it done. They're hardly the first act who's made the switch from country to pop. Faith Hill, Shania Twain, Dolly Parton, the Dixie Chicks, of course, Taylor Swift, Olivia Newton-John. Yes, she got her start as a country artist. They all began in one genre and switched to the other with even bigger success. We tend to be skeptical when artists switch genres, and and rightfully so. But the band Perry proves that sometimes it works out fine. I will note that, obviously, I haven't heard the, the rest of the album. It's not out yet, but so far, so good. One of the most legendary uh, <laughs> genre switches is Michael Bolton, who uh, will soon be celebrating his 64th birthday. actually got his start in the hard rock band Blackjack. Yeah, that was their biggest hit, Without Your Love. The band toured with, uh, let's see, Peter Frampton in the uh, late 1970s, if I have my... 
my era correct. Broke up in the early 1980s. Bolton was more or less penniless, and that's when he became the Michael Bolton we all know in fill in the blank. <laughs> as soon, uh, let's see, soon after that, he was selling out arenas to grandmas. But never forget where it started. These days, he's like an internet sensation. I mean, like a like a meme thing. I don't know. Whatever. I don't get it. I don't get internet humor. <laughs> Let's see. The Grammys happened earlier this month. I'm not going to talk about the Grammys. I talk music, not pop culture, which is what the Grammys celebrate. I would be remiss if I did not note uh, a bit of history here. And it has to do with the Marley family. Obviously, the late Bob Marley got things going. Family members eventually found success uh, after the reggae legend's death. For instance, uh, let's see, their youngest son, Damian Marley, I believe he's the youngest, had uh, hits along the way and was even in a super group with Mick Jagger. You may recognize this song by another of Bob's sons, Ziggy Marley. It was a top 40 hit in song used to be the highest charting song by any member of the Marley family. It's not the case anymore. And it's Skip Marley. Skip Marley, the grandson of Bob Marley and featured on the Katy Perry single Chain to the Rhythm that now holds that distinction. song has climbed up to number four. It is my desire, break down the walls to connect, inspire, eh, open up your high place, liars, time is ticking for the empire, the truth that feed is feeble, as so many times before, the greed of all the people, they stumble in the tumble in the river, they woke up, they woke up, they liars, yeah. So, 
Let's take a look at this. Who is Skip Marley? Well, he's only 20 years old, born in Jamaica, but raised in Miami. He's released two singles in 2015. The first was called Cry to Me. The second release that year was called Life. This is life, oh life, out there somewhere for me. Life, oh life, mm. This is life, oh life, out there somewhere for me. Life, oh life, mm. He recently moved to Island Records as a co-writing credit on Chain to the Rhythm. He wrote the song with Perry and Sia, a hit maker, obviously, in her own right. The song itself is sort of subtly uh, political. Being chained to the rhythm is not a good thing. Listen again. Unbelievably, it's Perry's uh, first top 10 hit since 2013. I say unbelievably because it never feels like she's gone away. Is Skip Marley poised for big things? I don't know, maybe. His collaboration with Perry comes as he's dropped a new single of his own. It's called Lions. We are the lions, we are the chosen, we're gonna shine now. So place your bets. Does Skip have a career? Or is this the last you hear of him? (laughs) I want to pause for a moment and poke a hole into uh, country music lore. Just for a second. It's a small hole, but I found this uh, uh, sort of of entertaining. We all know Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues, right? I hear the train a-coming. It's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. Well, it was actually a hit twice, the studio version, and then a live version actually recorded at Folsom Prison. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down the San Antonio. The live version is known for its uh, rowdy reception. You'll notice cheers after the most famous line in the song. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. Well, those cheers were actually spliced in later by the producer of the record, a guy named Bob Johnston. Listen again. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Not real. That cheer did not actually happen after that line. It's studio magic, as they say. Just a little reminder. 
that when it comes to major productions, you never know what you're hearing for sure. Johnston produced everybody from Cash to Simon and Garfunkel to Bob Dylan. He passed away in 2015, and we have a tribute to him over at OverdueReview.com. Okay. Friends, you know that we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. The whole uh, Stream Police playlist is up for your listening pleasure over at Spotify. And today we are adding five more songs. The first is Be My Wife by David Bowie. That's on a, a really weird record called Low. Um, I don't believe it's a masterpiece, although a lot of people do. Um, I do like that song, though. Uh, the second, let's see, is The Changeling by The Doors. Share the Land by the Guess Who. That's enough rock. Let's move to hip hop. A bitch is a bitch from NWA. A bitch is a bitch. So if I'm poor or rich, Word up. I talk in the exact same pitch. Now the title bitch don't apply to all women, but all women have a little bitch in them. Yeah. It's like a disease that plagues their character. Taking the women of America. And it starts with the letter B. It makes a girl like that think she better than me. See, some get mad and some just bear it. But yo, if the shoe fits, wear it. It makes them go in the ear, that's why when you say hi, she won't say hi. Are you the kind that think you're too damn fly? Mm. Bitch, eat shit and die. Ice cube coming at you at a crazy pitch. <laughs> Laugh out loud funny. Don't, don't, don't take it too seriously. All right? At its core, that's a song about reje- rejection and uh, boiling points. All right, finally, last song I'll recommend. Called WTF. This is by Public Enemy. You chase the money, you chase the fame, the human race is what they're playing. A game of life is what I'm saying. You split them up, you call them names. I'm at the age. If I can't teach, I shouldn't even open my mouth to speak. And talking loud and saying nothing in front of life. They're doing something. Feel the people. 
friends i want to toss it back to clint thanks so much for uh for listening for hanging out we'll see you at overduereview.com and we'll catch up here uh in just a few weeks see ya all right thank you very much andy as always glad to uh glad to hear from you my friend Drinking that gin and tonic in the basement. Meanwhile, I'm continuing to smoke my stogie here in my closet in Cincinnati. Thank you very much for joining us on the Stream Police podcast. As always, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Overdue underscore Review. You can look us up on Facebook as well at Overdue Review. We're we're probably going to be doing some facelifts to the website here coming up soon. It's been a uh, long time since we've done any remodeling or anything, so uh, we're probably going to have that coming up here uh, pretty soon if we can find the time to do it of course uh, but go up there and check the website if you uh, are, are wondering about my thoughts on any movies long form reviews from all eras so search a title there's a chance maybe we've done it we've done several hundred of them uh, over the years between records and and films so always uh, urge you to go check out the website if you want to do some reading about some just some random movies we got a little section up there at the top of the home page also random reviews three random reviews you can click those and uh, maybe read about a film that you never knew about and maybe find something that may become your next favorite movie. All right, let me move on to the small screen television and talk a little bit about uh, a couple shows that I'm watching right now, and I'm enjoying both of them, one a little bit more than the other. Let's start with the one I'm enjoying more. This is Us, season one right now, airing on NBC. I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but here we are. We're about 15 episodes into the first season, and what a great show this has turned out to be. I am so impressed with This Is Us. Every week when I watch it, I'm so impressed by the show, and I look forward to watching it every week. What better compliment can you get than that? I look forward to watching this show. Um, and, and you'll remember when it first came out, I think I talked on here about how the promos made it look like I was. it was just like, well, this is the show about you know, some couple who's overweight and they're going to lose weight. That was what the promos to me made the show look like. And I was like kind of interested, but I'm like, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't sound like it could sustain a series. Boy, was I wrong about what the show is about and also if it could sustain as a series. This is us. If you haven't watched it, it turned out to be this great exploration of family and uh, especially of, of being a brother or sister and being an individual, really, it's not like all sappy about the, the brother and sister relationship. It's really about these individuals who happen to make up a family together. The show follows a couple named Jack and Rebecca, played by Milo Ventimiglia from Gilmore Girls and Mandy Moore. And it follows them in the 1970s and 80s in Pittsburgh. They have uh, these they have these triplets. 
um, that they're raising as their own kids, two who were uh, twins born to them, one who was an adopted boy. Um, he's a black kid, and they adopted him the day he was born as well. Um, and, of course, he's a black kid being raised by a white family. So that comes with its own uh, issues that they have to deal with as they come up. Um, and then it also follows the three kids in present day as they're in their 30s and they're living their own life. So it goes back and forth. Um, flashbacks and, and, and current day, and it does so very seamlessly. Some episodes even are in flashback the whole time, and those episodes have been really strong. They haven't felt uh, forced at all. That's my thing with This Is Us. None of it, to me, has really felt forced. It's all felt, it, it all feels like it makes sense. The, the things they say, the things they do, the things they wear. Um, I just feel like this show was crafted so beautifully uh, from the start. It just feels like this was a complete idea. This was not like a, I've got a good premise. Uh, I've got a, a couple scenes written and that'll be, that'll be good. We'll go to series and we'll see what happens from there. We'll let it unfold. No, it feels like, you know, this show was brought in with a definite idea already crafted. The floor was built and you know, they kind of just made it prettier from there. And there are a lot of tears in the show. It's a, it's a tear jerker show for sure, but the tears do not come from cheap places like sneaky, sudden things that punch you in the gut. That's not what This Is Us is about. Everything feels calculated. It feels like it makes sense. It feels natural. And the tears and the laughs, because there's a lot of laughs in this show as well, and it's a very hopeful show. This is not like a depressing, you want to blow your brains out at the end of every episode kind of thing. It's a, it's a show that does make you feel good, but, it, man, it can bum you the hell out sometimes. But life can as well. This show, the, the laughs and the tears are earned by the writers, by the actors, by the directors. The the actors do great work in this show. This is an ensemble show. All the actors have to pull their weight. And I'm telling you, they do a fantastic job. My least favorite stuff on the show is when they go into some goofy makeup effects to try to make, like, Mandy Moore look older. It's just that, that to me, takes me out of it a little bit because I'm still just seeing the makeup, really, instead of just seeing her. But And there have been a couple storylines I feel like they've kind of just glossed over too quickly. But overall, I've really enjoyed This Is Us. I really like this show. I love the characters, and I'm excited to see where they're going to go with this. I hope this is not just going to be like a great first season, and then where do we go from here? But I don't sense that's coming. I keep waiting for the bottom to drop out because it's a network show. I'm like, okay, it's gonna like it's got to be shitty one week. It's got to just suck all of a sudden. That's that's how cynical I am after watching TV for so long. But it really hasn't. Every episode's been really good. some better than others, but most of them have been good, and some of them have been fantastic, including the last episode that just aired, an episode called Memphis. Uh, this was a beautiful—this could have been a movie. I mean, this was a story about one guy's life, and it was gorgeous the way it was done. I mean, if we could all only have a life like this, even though this guy felt certainly his share of heartache— um, it was just, it was beautiful. It was very well done, and it was a, a great story about a character that became a beloved character after starting off as kind of a uh, kind of like a piece of shit at the beginning, really. Um, but this is us is is very good TV. I'm really enjoying it, and it's network TV really at its best. I'm serious. I I really enjoy it, and it's family drama. Um, of a tall order as well. So uh, I like This Is Us. I recommend it fully to you if you want to check it out. I think the whole season right now is on Hulu, uh, but they're still in the middle of season one right now. I don't know where it's going to stream after that, but I think every episode is on Hulu. I could be wrong about that, but I think it is. So This Is Us airs uh, on NBC. You know, he, he didn't have much, so he reaches into his little satchel and he pulls out this shirt. He says to me, 
It's a magic t-shirt. He said that when you wear it, your enemies will see you exactly as you want to be seen. And only that way. Whether it's a, a warrior or a princess, whatever you want. Does it work? You tell me. I was wearing this shirt the night I met your mom. And she thought I was the handsomest man in the world. You? Yeah, I know. Me. And finally, one more television show I want to uh, recommend and also talk about for a second is Taboo, which is right now airing its first season on FX. And Taboo is a show, you may have seen some of the trailers for it. It stars Tom Hardy, and it's co-created by Tom Hardy as well. Um, and it is this bizarre historical drama set in 1800s England, like early 1800s England. America exists, and America is like a pain in the ass of England and an embarrassment really for the country. And the show follows this guy, played by Tom Hardy, who's this very mysterious, dangerous, calculating guy. Um, think about like, kind of like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, this guy, the main character is kind of like Littlefinger. He can handle himself better like in a fight and... You know, on his own. He doesn't really need allies as much as I feel like Littlefinger does. But he's conniving and he's very smart. Uh, and you have a feeling he's going to get whatever he wants in the end. So it follows this guy, played by Tom Hardy, who comes home to England after spending uh, more than 10 years in Africa. And Africa at this time is, of course, like this wild continent where, you know, rich white guys go to buy people. And, uh, you know, imperialism is going on. So that's a big theme of this as well. Um and this guy's just spent like 10 years in Africa, and he's done things that have uh, people have made rumors up about them. They say that he's possessed by demons. He uh, practiced witch doctor kind of stuff when he was over there, and he can channel spirits. And, you know, there's all these myths about this guy. He is like a mythical figure. Uh, he's got a very weird relationship with his sister. Did, he, did they sleep together? Is that why he ran away in the first place? Because she turned him down to be his lover. So, you know, there's, there are a lot of mysteries going on in Taboo. But really, what the crux of the show is, he comes back after his father's died, and his father leaves him, in his will, ownership of this weird piece of land called Nootka Sound, which is uh, in Canada. And apparently whoever this piece of land is very strategic and uh, the main character, James, figures out that whoever owns this piece of land is going to have control of Vancouver, I think, is the territory, the whole territory. And therefore, they're going to be able to basically control trading uh, since that's, you know, on the furthest east end of Canada. They're going to be able to control all the trading that goes on through there. So any ships that pass by, they're going to kind of get get a run that. So it's a very key piece to kind of have in your pocket. And so James is fighting to to keep control of this. Meanwhile, there's a, a mysterious like ex-wife of his dad's that he didn't know about who comes into play. Also, America wants this piece of land from him badly. They're willing to kill for it. They're willing to kind of give him whatever he wants. And the East India Trading Company also wants this piece of land, and they're kind of working with England to try to get it from James as well. So there's a lot of intrigue going on. Who's going to get this piece of land? It sounds like it would be a boring thing, but it's really not because of the way Tom Hardy plays it and the rest of this um, supporting cast does. The rest of the supporting cast is great. You'll recognize a lot of these people. They're veteran character actors. A lot of them have been on Game of Thrones. Um, and this show's kind of like that in the language and in the violence uh, and its cutthroat, just like that. It, but it, it looks very drab and gray. Um, the thing I would say about Taboo is the acting's really good. 
But it's very hard to understand the dialogue. The show is like really strange and kind of hypnotic. If you can understand what anyone is saying, it'll really grab you. But that's a key thing. I watch everything with subtitles on. I watch every movie, show, anything I watch, I always watch with subtitles on, except sports. So I don't know how you could watch Taboo if you didn't have subtitles turned on because I just don't think you could understand what anyone's saying. They're all using these thick British accents, and they're talking quietly. And it's just a quiet show. It's not a loud, bombastic show. It's very quiet. So I just don't know how you'd follow the episodes because there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of intrigue going on in the episode. A lot of characters' names are being dropped. But Tom Hardy, man, he's another one of those guys that I just love watching. He's such an enigma. And his character just matches that so well. Hardy's just intense. I, I could watch him like, do anything. He's one of those great actors as well that, um, you know, you dream about, like, if you ever wrote anything, having him get to do your dialogue. Because he's just, he's, he seems dialed in at all times. So Taboo right now is airing on FX. I'm not sure how long the first season's going to be, but I think it's wrapping up. You can watch all the episodes right now on FX now. And I'm not sure where it'll be streaming after that, but uh, look for it. If you like historical dramas, if you like FX's style, which I know you do if you're listening to the Stream Police podcast, um, check it out. And if you like Tom Hardy especially, uh, give the show a watch. But if you're looking for something fast-paced, if you're looking for something over the top, in your face, this is not the show. You're not going to enjoy that. My recommendation, watch it with the subtitles turned on. I know you. I know your nature. I know you. No. I believed once that we were the same person. We are. We are not. We are. Not anymore. Perhaps you should thank your God for that. All right, and finally, let me get to a couple things that are streaming now on Netflix and Amazon that you may not have seen. I always, at the end of the show, like to give you a movie each from Netflix and Amazon that I think uh, are very good and ones that may have flown under your radar before. I'm going to give you two Best Picture winners since we're talking the Oscars and since the Oscars you know, are, have, have just aired or are about to air when I'm recording this. Um, so two Best Picture winners. First off, on Netflix, I'm going to take you back to 1947, and I'm going to give you Gentleman's Agreement, starring the great Gregory Peck and also Celeste Holm, who won an Oscar for her performance in this movie. Gentleman's Agreement, I've reviewed it over DoReview.com. I reviewed it years ago, if you want to check that out. This this movie really stands out to me because, let's face it, in, these, in this day and age, a lot of anti-Semitism going on, a lot of hate of different groups, religious groups, whatever, cultural groups happening. Um, and a lot of it's being driven by, of course, uh, politics, the government, but, you know, just people being ignorant and people hating other people for no reason. Gentlemen's Agreement came out in 1947, two years after the Holocaust ended, two years after World War II ended. And this movie tackles anti-Semitism head on. And it was a major studio production starring Gregory Peck. The movie is about an investigative journalist played by Peck who goes undercover. He's going to do this piece where he's going to pretend he's Jewish for like a, a couple months or something like that. He's just going to go, he's, he's going to change his name to like a Jewish sounding name. And he's going to say, he's going to tell everyone he's Jewish. People don't know him. They're going to, so they're not going to know. And he wants to know their reactions, how he's treated when he's in public and things like that versus how he's usually treated. And, and the movie is, is it doesn't always practice what it preaches because there are no people of color in this movie. And in fact, there's only one Jew in the entire film, only one Jewish actor in the whole movie, which is a shame, but there are no people of color. So you know, it's like practice what you preach a little bit. But it, the message of this movie really holds up, especially for a film that came out in 1947. It's not hokey. It's not stupid. Um, it's it's a well-done film. So that's on Netflix right now, Gentleman, uh, Gentleman's Agreement. 
totally recommend you watching that one, especially this day and age. I think it'll it'll ring true for you. And finally, on Amazon, I actually think this is on Netflix as well. But for my friends on Amazon, I'm going to give you No Country for Old Men from 2007. Is it the Coen Brothers' best movie? Plenty of people have said that. I still like to go with The Big Lebowski and Fargo. Uh, but anytime you're in the conversation with those films, you know you're doing something right. And No Country for Old Men is this great – talk about hypnotic – this great hypnotic movie um, and truly one of the best crime films to come out in the last 20 years in Hollywood. Uh, but this movie is really more than that. I, no Country for Old Men to me is more like The Sopranos um, than it is other crime films. It, the great thing about The Sopranos was it always went for philosophy. It was intellectual. It gave you something to think about. And that's the thing with No Country for Old Men. There are so many philosophical strands to pull, so much Jungian you know, uh, philosophy and so much, uh, so much academic thought that goes into this movie that's seemingly simply about you know, one guy hiding money, one guy looking for the money, and a sheriff who's chasing them both across Texas. Uh, so it's a movie that you can watch on on a couple levels. You can watch it on the base level and really enjoy it because the acting's great and the violence is very just dark and violent. But on the other, in the other hand, you can watch this as this philosophical movie about nihilism, existentialism. So many things going on here um, about dreams, the importance of dreams. There's a lot of things to pay attention to in No Country for Old Men, and it's a it's a really good one. I, I need to go back and watch it again as well. Uh, but that was the Best Picture winner from 2007, so a little more recent for you. But uh, definitely recommend checking both of those out. Gentleman's Agreement on Netflix and No Country for Old Men on Amazon and also on Netflix as well. All right, that's going to do it for the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you so much, my friend, for checking us out. Uh, pass it along to your friends. Give us a five-star review up at iTunes. Very much appreciated. Um, and thank you, Andy Sedlak, once again for chipping in as well my friend always good to uh, have you along with me here in the squad car as it were all right i'm gonna get out of my closet open this hot box up and get the hell out of here i'll talk to you guys uh, in a few weeks from now until then stream on my friend Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.